the weekly show with David J. Maloney. This week, David chats with four-time Emmy winner Michael Learned. And now, here's your host, David J. Maloney. Our featured guest tonight is a four-time Emmy Award winner whose iconic role as Olivia Walton in The Waltons made her a permanent part of TV history on a show that seemed to define a generation. Here to chat about her illustrious career, her current role as Katherine Dahmer on Netflix's blockbuster hit Monster, The Jeffrey Dahmer Story, and what she has coming up next is none other than actress Michael Learned. Michael, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. It's, it's such an honor to have you here because an entire generation of people adored you as essentially America's mom for so uh-huh. long. Um, I'm curious about your backstory, though, because I don't know uh, too much about it. Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in Connecticut uh, in the country on a farm, a 21 acre, quote, gentleman's farm in, in, in Wisconsin. They call it a hobby farm. <laughs> um, I milked goats every morning before I went to school. And when I came home, you know, at night before um, I fed the animals and milked three goats because I stole money from my dad. So I had to pay it back um, for candy to buy candy. And a teacher busted me. She said, your daughter is spending an awful lot of money on candy. Maybe you ought to look into it. And so that was my punishment was to do chores and pay the money back, which I did. Um, And now I'm off totally off track. But um, I grew up on a farm in Connecticut and then we moved to Austria. Uh, And so I lived in the most beautiful little village in Austria, which was near Salzburg and uh, went to school, the local school and learned German. And um, we spent three and a half years there. And I went off to boarding school in England to learn how to dance and act. Is that how the idea of acting or performing came into the picture for you? Or was your family creative in some other ways or did it come just specifically to you? Well, my family was creative in that they supported the arts. My mother and father took me to the ballet and theater and um, my grandmother as well. My grandfather was an artist. Um, And so in that sense, my family, there was always music and always something wonderful happening in our house. And um, yeah, I wanted to be a dancer. I really wanted to be a dancer. And when we were living in Austria, I got very depressed as a kid. And the the local doctor said she doesn't have any peers who are interested in the things that she's interested in, which was kind of true. Um, So she suggested that I, I go off to boarding school and study dance. But I happened to win the drama cup, um, which was just for the school. And one of the teachers came up to me and said, you know, Michael, you're not really a very good dancer. Why don't you think about being an actress instead? (laughs) So that's how that happened. Um, So once you kind of went down that track, was your family supportive or were they worried about your job prospects? They probably, no, they were terribly supportive. They may have worried a little bit, but they didn't care about stuff like that. They were just go for it. You know, whatever, what is it? Whatever is your passion, go for it. And now, if I'm not mistaken, you kind of took up theater before you took up screen acting. Did, did I get that right? And if so, what kind of drew you to theater initially? Or was that just what was available? Well, I had done, uh, I had done television in Canada when I was married to my first husband, Peter Donat. Um, but when I came to the States, uh, I was nothing. And I kind of came in on Peter's 
Peter Donat's coattails at ACT. They wanted Peter. And so in order to make the, the offer a little more attractive, they, they took me as well. And I started off kind of understudying roles. And then I eventually became the leading lady at the American Conservatory Theater as well. Do you think the theater prepared you for your role on the Waltons in, in any way? Because back then you were shooting in front of a live studio audience, right? No, we did not shoot in front of an audience. Oh, um, wow. It was film. It was not television. It was shot on film and uh, on location at times. Um, we, we didn't have too many locations. We had a back lot, which is no longer, unfortunately. But, um, you know, you could sit on that back lot and you would really believe you were in the middle of the country somewhere. Uh, Will Gear planted a real garden and... Um, You'd sit on the porch. I'd see kids coming up the dirt road, you know, visitors, visiting kids. Um, and they'd see the house and they'd see the barn and the swing and everything. And their eyes would be like saucers, you know, and then they'd open the front door and there'd be nothing on the other side. And their little faces would fall. I'm sure they're all in therapy over it. But. <laughs> um, so how did your ca being cast on the Waltons come about? I heard it's kind of an ex a surreptitious story in many ways. Um. Well, how did it come about? I, a, a woman named Ethel Winant, who was then the head of casting at CBS, used to come up to ACT, uh, where I was working, and she saw me in a number of plays. And so when the role of the Waltons came up, I thought I was, I had short blonde hair and I was 32 and they were looking for a woman in her 40s with long red hair. So um, Fred Silverman, apparently I heard him years later, did not think I was right for the part. And the story goes, she wrestled Fred Silverman to the ground over you. And thanks to Ethel Winant, and I really do believe she fought for me, um, I got the part. Because originally there was somebody else cast in the, in the movie, and, and, I, and I think I've heard you mention this before, but it, it, Patricia Neal, I think, wanted the part for Patricia Olivia, right? And then, you know, well, I didn't know that. And Patricia and I became very good friends years later because she's the most gracious woman in the world. And I was sitting in um, uh, Joe Allen's in New York. And um, this this woman that I thought of as a huge movie star, Patricia Neal, came all the way over and said, congratulations, you're just lovely in the role, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, thank God you didn't want it because it, I got it. And she said, oh, but I did, darling. They didn't want me. And um, I've never forgotten that because she was so gracious. I, I think I would have hit in a corner of some part that I'd really want and had gone to somebody younger. I don't know. Hopefully I would be gracious too. But we became very close friends, very good friends. She's a lovely, lovely she was a lovely light. Did you ever meet her her husband? Because I can only imagine the conversations the three of you guys would have had. No, I never met Raul. No, just an just an interesting fellow. So um, you've been open about the fact that the, the time surrounding your casting in the Waltons was kind of one of the darker times of your life, but also kind of a time of spiritual awakening. What happened back then, and what has that spirituality meant to you in in your life? Well, a couple of things. I, I was going through a divorce from my the father of my kids, who I actually loved very much. Um, I just was going downhill myself. And um, as much as we loved each other, I felt I, I couldn't go on. I, I don't think at the time I really 
realized that a lot of it was that there were better ways I could have handled it rather than leaving and breaking up the family, which was a, a terribly uh, traumatic and sad for me and for my kids, of course, and, and for Peter. I mean, he said, I, years later, he said, I never thought you would leave me. <laughs> um, so I was very much into the 1950s, stand by your man and all of that, but I just, I couldn't do it. And, uh, and I was drinking heavily at the time for me and um, it wasn't working. Nothing was working. I just was terribly sad and depressed. And um, Ralph Waite at, at one point told me that he was getting sober and he suggested that I consider it as well. And I was shocked. And what do you mean? I don't have a problem. And he said, well, just think about it. And so I did. And uh, I haven't had a drink now in 45 years. So the, the show was basically set during the Great Depression, World War II, even though it was being filmed like 30 some odd years later. You kind of lived through the tail end of that momentous time in our history. What do you remember about it? And 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 or was there were there stories from your family that you were able to garner information from the polls? Well, really, it was for me. It wasn't about the depression. It was about being a mother uh, during the depression, um, where times were hard, and being an actress and a, married to an actor, we had hard hard times too. I I mean, we. If that's my wife, I just left. <laughs> It's an unknown name. It's an Maybe old it is. Joke. Yeah, it's an old joke. That's such an old um, joke. No, I, I, for me, it wasn't about, um, it was about really the character being a mom, being very religious and rather righteous and at times, not very likable, really. I, the more they did that, the more I, the happier I was because I said, you know, righteous people can be really very difficult and judgmental and not not so great so every now and then they would give me some kind of an attitude which i liked um to play otherwise it just would have been all sweetness and goo you know and, and as i understand it there may have been some times where there was a little headbutting because you wanted the character to actually have more imperfections correct like you wanted the, the character to be more real and a little less you know made for tv right you're absolutely right. Thank you for that. Um, yeah, I, I remember going to Earl and saying, didn't your mother ever make a mistake? Didn't she ever scold the wrong child? Every mother has done that at some time or another. Um, and, and he said, no. <laughs> so well, I give up. But I used to ask them to please try and give me something more than what time for bad kids, pass the sugar, please. Uh, and then what happened? And then where did you go? Those were a lot of my lines. I, I know them by rote. Yeah. And so every now and then they would give me a real story. And I was very grateful for that because it's not easy. They were writing about nobody calls. Why are they doing it? is your wife. Yeah. So every now and then they really did try and they gave me some good stuff, though. I think the um, Easter story was the first time they really gave me some meat to play or the polio story. So. Um, that was, that was really fun. What do you think made the Waltons the cultural milestone that it became? I mean, what, what gives it its power? Do you think? That's a good question that you're asking, but you know, the answer to it, it's family. I mean, really it's family and it was well-written, I think. And we, had, we, as actors, we had, we were allowed to have a lot of say. And there were times when I, I don't think we made Earl very happy, but where we'd say, 
this is too good to be true. You got to change this. And arrogant. We were arrogant at times. And and Earl was one of the nicest guys you could ever want to know and had a marvelous sense of humor, a little risky humor, which made him bearable. Otherwise, he would have been too nice. And, um, you know, he would he would he would stand up for himself. But a lot of the times he would take our suggestions, which I, I thought was very uh, gracious of him. What do you think made the relationship so believable between Olivia and John? I mean, they touched each other. They slept in the same bed, things like that, that which for certain generations was not the norm, not at least on TV at that time, right? I think it was groundbreaking that we slept in the same bed. I'm not sure, but I think it was. I think it was um, too. Yeah. And um, and we we were sexual with each other. I mean, we we weren't rubbing up against each other all the time, but we he would slap me on the fanny or... You know that we touched each other. We we uh, we kissed. We hugged. We were tactile with each other. It wasn't uh, without it in any way being um, provocative. I think. I, I, I think. Um, I think for a lot of people, I, I get letters saying, "You taught me how to be a mother." You're, what they mean is my character, of course, yeah. but. Olivia taught me how to be a mother, or, or Olivia taught me how to be a wife, or or things like that. So. Uh, that makes that's a, a nice leg legacy to have. You've spoken about how much you've adored your co-stars from Richard Thomas to Ralph Waite to Will Gear. Does any particular memory of them from from either being on set or in real life stick out to you that maybe nobody knows? Well, I think it's probably public knowledge now that that um, Will and and Ralph had a penchant for mooning. And I'm sure Richard did it times too. I, can't, I just can't remember. I, I just have this vision of Will Gear's ass um, that I can't get away from. But I, I would run shrieking, and they loved that. You know, they loved to make me run screaming into the night. <laughs> and it was all in good fun. But we're so puritanical in this country that a naked bum is kind of horrendous. You know. Now, for the Waltons alone, you won three. Emmys. Does any of them stand out in particular to you? Is it the first one or? Well, the first one was so much fun because I had no, no inkling that I had a chance. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't even anxious. I was just having fun. I was with my, my son. He was my, my, my escort and um, in his, you know, rented tux and I'm in a, Bill Blass dress. I've never worn a Bill Blass dress that had a feather boa, which I left in my seat when I when I won because I was so taken aback. And I'll just never forget um, Chris's face because they mispronounced my name. Yeah, they said Michelle. Yeah, or they weren't sure, and which is understandable because I have a man's name and it was a woman's um, award. And I can remember both of us kind of going like this, and then looking at each other and my son's eyes were like this and it was i have to say it was a thrill it was a thrill to win and especially when you're not even expecting it and of course then after that i was a nervous wreck because the second time i thought if i win i have to get up and say something and i think i even missed one because i i just i was so terrified in those days now i could i would get up and have a wonderful time but back then i was so self-absorbed and self-conscious and shy and all that stuff that the thought of getting up and thanking my peers was beyond me now and i you, think you, you, 
You mentioned the mispronunciation of the name thing because obviously you, your first name is Michael and it's typically a male name. But and I'm sure you've, you've talked about this ad nauseum. But were you aware that there's actually a lead character on a Star Trek episode now, a female character whose first name is Michael? No, you're kidding. No. Oh, she's the lead. She's the main character of the show, and her first name oh, is Michael. And she's the captain of a ship now. Oh my gosh, I'm I'm so honored. I, yeah, I, I have no clue if there's any. If there's any if she's connection, than I am, maybe I can take credit for it. Or yeah, my why not? Right? You were there the first. was an author, you know, married to F. Scott Fitzgerald named Michael Strange. Um, so I think my parents really thought of me as Strange Michael. I don't know. <laughs> you, you left the show, went on to do uh, the fantastic TV show Nurse, for which you won another Emmy. Um, what did that recognition mean to you? I mean, I, I feel like it showed you weren't like a one trick pony, but a, a true student of the profession, no? Well, it was an honor. Um, I, I don't poo-poo any of that. You know, you do when you're not up for something. You might kind of go, oh, award shows, they don't mean anything. But you do get caught up in it. You can't help it. And and to then win, I remember going to the, my, I was married to another, it was another marriage. And my ex-husband had gotten a spot on his sleeve or something and refused to go in to walk the red carpet with me. And so we, uh, I made an emergency call to a mutual friend and said, will you escort me? And he showed up, God bless him. And, and we went again, not thinking, not thinking that, I, I did think maybe I had a chance for nurse because it was such an, I was given such good stuff to work with. Um, and it was another thrill. I mean, to win for a different series was really a thrill. And Nurse had just been canceled. And I remember Ed Asner was sitting in the front row, and he gave me such a look of empathy and um, commiseration because he, he knew the show had just been canceled, and there I was winning an Emmy for a show that no longer existed. He was really, I, I've never forgotten his face. It was so full of love. I think I'll go back now and, and, and look for that. Um, so that makes four Emmy awards for you, which I believe is tied with Tyne Daly for the most in history for us. He has seven. seven. Who? Yeah. Uh, Tyne Daly has seven. She's got Emmy. seven, but, but for outstanding lead actress in a drama, I think this, oh. I think you guys are tied in that category. Um, I could be wrong, but I, I think her other three may be in a different category. Maybe I my my goal is certainly not to correct you on that. But I'm happy I'm, to be in any category. I think I think I think you you may actually hold that that uh, that record. Um, so before we move on, um, I heard that you've got a, a special the kind of Walton's fiftieth anniversary coming up. You got something working on that? Maybe I, there's something going on at the Hollywood Museum here in. Uh, in LA, which is uh, which I will be attending, and I'm donating a, a beautiful uh, W that uh, an English fan friend who be, she became a close friend. She's no longer with us, unfortunately, but she had someone make this, and it's covered with charms that all have to do with the Walton Show. I mean, I think in itself it's a museum piece, and I'm going to donate that to the Hollywood Museum here. And so that'll be fun. We we love getting together. We're we're just we're a nightmare for people because all we do is crack jokes and giggle and be silly and stupid. What does it mean to you to still have those relationships all these years later? I mean, are they kind of like an anchor to the past for you? Yeah, we just have a blast when we're together. We're irreverent, silly, 
um, and happy. We love it when we get together. So we spent many hours together. The kids actually spent more time with us than they did with their own parents. And we wa I watched them grow. I watched the girls go home and come back wearing bras, you know, and the boys had grown two feet, you know, in the hiatus. And um, it was it was a good time. Long hours, very tiring. I complained all the time. Um, stupid me looking back and thinking I had such good fortune and I, I always complained because I wanted to be with my kids and I was spending all this time with somebody else's children whom I, who I loved. But um, That's our show for tonight. Thank you so much for watching and a special thanks to actress Michael Learned for joining us. Stay safe, everyone. There's countless other stops in your biography we could talk about, but I'm really kind of excited to talk with you about your current part in Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. How did your casting for that part come about? I mean, did you have to audition for it or did they seek you out for it specifically? I love it when I get sought out, but I had to audition for this. And uh, to be honestly honest, I don't audition well. And I think what happened at the end of the audition, they wanted a full body, full body uh, shot. So my manager, who is Jerry Pass, um, did that. And I said, you know, if I'd known this, I would have worn a bra. And I hoisted my, <laughs> my boobs up and he left it in. And I think it cracked everybody up at the uh, audition and, and, you know, sometimes it's that whimsical in this uh, business that you make you made them laugh and as, as, get the part because I'm sure many, many, many very good actors audition for it as well. As so they, I'm as, grateful as, that I got it. As they say in the biz, happy accidents, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, did the dark nature of the overall story give you any hesitation or did it intrigue you more as an actress? Well, we all, we all love... Um, that dark side, um, but she wasn't a dark person. She she was a for me it was a character, and then I think, are you sure it was a character? You're you're doing a character part, or is that really who you are? <laughs> You've become that, um, except for the wig. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a grandmother. I adore my grandchildren. It was an easy it was easy, and Peter Evans is such a nice person. It was easy to love him. And she was in total denial about what was really going on. Um, I, I don't know how that could be. How can you be in denial about somebody chopping up people in your basement? I, I find that very hard to digest, but somehow she did. And you've and you've had some truly fantastic scenes with with Evan Peters. What, what was it like working with him, especially given the type of characters you guys were both having to portray? He was so charming in our scenes together that it was just easy. And she, you know, she just didn't know Jeffrey. What's in that bag? I mean, how could you not smell? And he's lugging a bag full of human body parts through your kitchen. How could you not suspect? If it were me, Michael, and something like that was going on and I was getting a smell from the basement, I'd go down the stairs and find out what the hell it is. Uh, but for some reason, she didn't. And I wonder sometimes if in the back of her mind, she had some sense of what was going on. I, I don't know. It just seems... had, had you ever met him previously? Peter? Yeah. No, I had not. Um, what was it like getting screamed <laughs> at in so many scenes? 
getting reamed or yeah what i mean did, weren't there some i mean some scenes where that were or she t- uh, let him have it you yeah mean? um in those scenes i think she kind of won um with him I, uh, you know she she when he brought there was a um an African-American kid that he brought home and who was unconscious. And he said, I'm sitting here all night to make sure he's okay. And she did and put him on a bus and sent him home. Um, so she was no milk toast. She, she didn't put up with it, but I don't denial is a very strong and dangerous thing really, isn't it? If you think about it, but we all can do things that we, that we're not proud of in retrospect, but at the time we weren't, we weren't thinking or we were in some kind of denial about it. I, I hate denial. Um, you spoke, hard look at life. Yeah. Um, you've spoken glowingly of, of creator Ryan Murphy's previous work. What were kind of your expectations going into the show off that, or did you not have any? Well, I was just thrilled that I got the part. I mean, I felt like I was 20 years old and just starting over. I mean, it's a little humiliating at my age to be auditioning like, don't you know I can act? But yeah. uh, that's my ego. Uh, I understand that. But for Ryan Murphy, uh, you, you audition because he's a brilliant genius in television. Look at all the stuff. My best, uh, a dear friend of mine, Sarah Paulson, did Nurse Ratchet. I thought that was a wonderful series and she was brilliant in it. I met her on Broadway when she was understudying, actually. So he kind of made a star out of her. Um she did another series as well, and she's a really great actress. But, um, you know, I think he takes chances with people. I, I think Peter Evans will now be a huge name, but he's not hes not um, Sylvester Stallone. I mean, he's not that kind of a name, but he's, he's deeply respected for his work and his uh, creative abilities, I think. You mentioned an interesting point about, you know, having to audition at your age and with your experience. And you've talked before about the difference between how studios and others treat age in the U S versus say the UK with the UK seemingly able to find roles for its matriarchs in ways the U S doesn't. Why do you, why do you think that is based on what you've experienced personally? Well, this is just my opinion or my guess, but, we're a young country. We're a country that's in its adolescence, really. I mean, we're not, we haven't been around for hundreds and hundreds of years, uh, like England or so. So I think the English writers write eccentric parts for their actors, for their female aging actresses. And I think in this country, we worship youth and why not? We, we, we worship vitality and youth and energy and adventure and all those wonderful things. But we need to realize that old people have something to offer. We have some kind of wisdom and we have humor and um, we're not necessarily boring people. Well, it's interesting because I mean, this goes. I mean, this is this is this is nothing new. I mean, in Hollywood, it's been talk of Hollywood for a long time. They find those roles for men. They find them for 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 older men all the time. I mean, heck, Harrison oh, no. Ford's about Harrison Ford's shooting his yeah. umpteenth 
you know, Raider, Raiders movie, you know what I mean? His Indiana Jones movie. They keep finding those things in the it's U.S. Crazy. It's just, it seems like you have so many, and I think you're onto something there with the, with the whole European thing. There's a difference, re, different reverence and respect, I think, that comes with age and culture and wisdom, not just in, I mean, with art, with, with actresses, with, with everything, no? Well, I, I think in all in, in all fairness, I was watching something last night with Kirk Douglas and um, oh God, I'm suddenly uh, Kevin Klein. Uh, I can't remember what the movie was. It was delightful, but these were three old. They were playing old men, and they were cute and adorable and whimsical and eccentric and fun. Well, they don't write parts like that for old older women. They don't write that for women. They write it for men. Men are cute when they're older, but women are old. And um, it ain't fair. It just ain't fair. And I, I, I have the mouth of a sailor, so I won't swear. <laughs> you know, it just ain't, it ain't effing fair. <laughs> I, I don't but disagree. Maybe we'll change. Maybe we'll change. I mean, maybe they'll do a turnaround. And um, I, I'm always hopeful. I'm always hopeful. Look, I got a part. I had to wear a wig and schmata, but I got a part. Have you ever considered something or been offered the opportunity to be on something like an SNL? Because Betty White went on SNL and killed it. Oh, I would love to do it, but people don't think I have a sense of humor. They think I am seen as an authority figure. It goes back to Olivia Walton. I'm seen as some kind of an authority figure, you know? And uh, I did something with uh, Matthew Perry. And he said, you have, you are so funny. And I thought, yeah tell the world. <laughs> um, that was always, I did do a comedy that didn't go, uh, Living Dolls a long time ago. It was mostly, a, it, it didn't go and it shouldn't have really, but it was fun to do. It's what, fun to do those half hour shows. Um, back to the, 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 the Dahmer show, religion kind of plays a big role in your character's thoughts and motivations. Was that hard to play, easy to play, something else entirely? Oh, God. It wasn't hard to play. Um, it's not like me. I would never lay that on anybody. Uh, we have a grandson living with us now, and uh, I would never lay religion on him because it's, uh, it's his personal business and it's my personal business. But um, that's who she was. She was a very religious woman, and that's who she was. And... I, I, I just can't imagine what it would be like to find out that your beloved grandson was doing the horrific things that he was doing. I just can't even imagine it. One thought that kept running through my mind watching this series is that, and it's a weird thing to say, but loneliness kills. Um, would, is, that a, is that a sentiment that you might agree with given kind of the Dahmer story or is there something that I've missed somewhere in there? I think he was a weird guy, and that probably alienated people. I've watched his, you know, there's not much research about her. I, I saw movie, um, you know, home movies of her. So I had, I had a sense of what she looked like and that she liked cats, which I do too. But um, I, I did watch a lot of him, and it was just ho horrifying to see the way he talked about the most horrendous things as if he were 
reading off a grocery list. There was absolutely no emotion. He was completely detached from whatever it was he was talking about. His mother apparently was on pills when she was pregnant and they, his parents got a divorce. His father was devoted to him. How many kids have grown up with parents who got divorced or a mother on pills, you know, and they don't become serial killers. So he said something that was very striking to me. He said, I think there was just something wrong with my brain, something wrong in my brain. I think if I'm quoting him correctly, and it was almost like he was trying to figure it out himself it, with no uh, feeling about it, but he was just, it was almost like he was trying to, yeah, I don't know why I killed all those people or why I ate them. Um, to keep them with, I mean, a lot of us are lonely and we find other ways to assuage our loneliness. Um, but basically we're, I don't want to get philosophical, but basically we are all alone, really. Um, so we have families and husbands and wives and friends who love us. And I'm one of those lucky people. Uh, wrapping up after all your years working in the film industry, all the people you've met or worked with, roles you've played or passed on, is there any one memory about a, a person or place that's just always going to just, boom, stick out to you? God. James Arness, for some reason, is coming to mind. I think, you know, when I, I, I wouldn't tell him this, but when I was younger, my father always watched Gunsmoke. And sitting on a set, with him, I think maybe I did tell him. And um, I said, you know, I can't believe I'm actually, and this was after the world, and I said, I can't believe I'm actually doing, playing opposite you. I'm the only woman he ever kissed, Matt Dillon. And um, he said, well, if I hadn't been doing this, I would have been a truck driver. And I just thought that was so um, humble and honest uh, from him. So that, that sticks out in my memory, but I've worked with some great people. I, I would have to really sit down. I'm going to sit down and think about that so I have an answer if that question ever gets asked. It's a very good question. Um, after the career, you've had all the awards you've won. Looking back, and you used the word legacy earlier, what, what, what would you want your legacy to be? Maybe kindness. It has nothing to do with the work, but I try to be compassionate and kind. Um, I don't always succeed. My husband says I have a mean streak a mile wide. So when we're in battle together, <laughs> I can be mean. So I'm not sitting around going, oh, I'm such a good person. I'm not. But basically in the world, if you're lost, I'm going to try to help you if I can. And I think most, of, I think most people are that way. I think most people are that way. I, I really believe in the human race, I do. My, my grandson and I were just having a big talk about racism and um, unfortunately, you know, it exists and uh, it's very hard for him to come to terms with. His mother is uh, Puerto Rican or part Puerto Rican and, um, you know, he, he can't understand that people can be racist and frankly, I can't either, but it exists and it's something that we just have to struggle with and try to overcome as best we can. Well, it's interesting. And, and yeah, it's, that's an entirely different conversation, but you know, yeah, know. What, what, generates, what, what generates fear and what creates fear, what people are afraid of and how that to some extent, I think plays a part in racism. 
you know, I think, I think it is a very fear-based thing, a fear of, you know, uh, having one's culture supposedly diluted or who knows what the thought process, it doesn't, I, I, I try to figure it out myself. And that's something that keeps coming back to me. Maybe that's where it comes from to some extent, you know, um, and, and as we kind of, most people know, I believe most people are good hearted and know that it's something that's, that's learned, you know, it's something that's not, it's something that somebody learns from somebody else. I agree. I agree with you. I don't think children, I don't think babies are racist. I really don't. No, I no. think, I think um, my, my wife is from India and I remember one day going to uh, my son's pediatrician with him and it was the, uh, and the gal working the front counter was African-American and he looked at her and it was, you know, he was very young. He was just starting able to speak. And he looks at her and he goes, you're brown like me. Oh, sweet. That's very sweet. And What's that with shows you right there. You know what There's I mean? There's no racism there. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I had a, I was, I was, uh, he was in a way, my father, uh, a man named Ambrose. And I remember asking him, I said, how come your skin, how come apparently when I was three, I don't remember this, mm -hmm. but he told me, he said, you came up to me and you touched my arm and you said, why don't you take a bath? And he, he had to explain to me why his skin was a darker color than mine. And he, he was one of the greatest loves of my life. And he wasn't offended by it. He understood that it was a, a child who had never seen someone with dark skin before. And he just answered my question and said, this is how I was born. My skin is darker than yours. Isn't it pretty? And I went, yes, it is. It, 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 so let me ask you this. What have you got besides the, the Walton's uh, 50th anniversary thing coming up? Do you've got, have you got any other projects in the work? Is there anything else that you're working on right now? Not a damn thing. <laughs> so, so we, uh, I still think, I really think an <laughs> SNL thing would be, I, I, you know, I just think that would be because to take, to take the, to take the actress who, who played such a kind of this wholesome, you know, character on the Waltons for so long and to put you into sketches that would be so, you know, like opposite. I would love it. I, I would love to great. do have some fun with it. It would be so much fun. I think that would uh, be Yeah, great. I would love that. So, I would love it. Thank you. From your mouth to God's ears. There you go. Michael, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure. Same here. Thank you. Yeah. An interview is only as good as the interviewer. Well, I appreciate that. That's high praise coming from you. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Um, before we before we go, I was going to tell you an interesting one. Well, the other interesting uh, little uh, racism story, which is kind of a bizarre one. So I used to have a business in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and um, there was a, a point in time where one of the employees of of my business, and I had just been out of a breakup, uh, had told me that they wanted to fix me up with this gal, and uh, shoot, and they and. She was very pretty, very attractive. And I said, sure, I'll, I'll go on this blind date with this gal, right? And because they had sent me a, a picture of what the gal looked like. And so I drive to Baton Rouge to go pick up the gal. And she's got an SUV. And I needed to pick up some furniture that I had purchased somewhere. And I said, can we, you know, and I had a sports car at the time. I'm like, can, can we swing by this place and just pick this stuff up, right? right? So we go to the place and there is a cashier 
that is bringing up this patio furniture that we're going to put outside my business, frankly, so that my so that the folks who work for me can sit outside and enjoy a nice day and have their lunch outside when they want to. And it's an African-American cashier. And I've got stuff on the cart and I hand the girl who's my blind date, my credit card. I go, can you hand it to her? And she goes and, she, and the African-American woman goes to put her card out and the gal puts the card down on the counter and won't hand it to her directly. Oh. So now this gal had been raised being taught certain things, but she broke away from the family, but had not up to that point in time come into contact that close because her family was so had sheltered all their kids growing up had kept them away so they could continue to ingrain in them this racism this hatred this or fear and it was such a bizarre circumstance that we get in the car and i said to her i go what was all that about and I didn't realize that she was re literally related, like a cousin to a guy who was a friggin', you know, grand monster. monster. Yeah. And, 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 uh, and she goes, I just, she goes, I know that that woman wasn't a bad person. I just didn't know how to behave. She's like, I just didn't know what to do because she mm -hmm. had never literally been allowed to be that close to an African-American before. So she had no she clue. She was, it was like she was meeting a Martian. It was, it was just bizarre. Um, never went out with the gal again, but nevertheless, it was just one of those interesting, weird stories. It was, this is a conversation we should have some, some time about, about with my grandson, um, you know, because it's such a creepy, sneaky thing. I mean, we all have some in us. I said to Ari, you know, there's nobody who's completely free of bias. We all have our own little biases. And um, I won't tell you what mine is. <laughs> we all have something that we're ashamed of. It's, but we uh, have it. it's, anyway, it's yeah, Mallory. but it does get insidious. I just, I, it made me think of that and thought that was such a bizarre thing that happened. That's a very, um, that's a very, horrif it's horrifying really, even though it's very subtle. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's just but, something you don't. But but those things exist, and that means that means it exists in other places and other ways, and that's why we deal with a lot of the things we deal with is because it's generational. Let me tell you a quick one, though, a very quick one. Yeah, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee, which I consider the South, and um, my plane was the. It's, it's the um, South. It's, it's there's there's I, very. Right, I was on a flight. The plane was delayed, and there was a waiting room that was jam packed with people, including me. I was seated, but there was one seat that was empty, and it was in the middle of everybody. And a black woman walked into the waiting area, and I thought, "Oh my God, what's going to happen now?" She got, she worked her way into that seat. She sat down, and nobody did anything except, you know, what we all would do. And I thought, well. It's not as bad as it used to be. Maybe there's hope, you know? Well, nobody went like that or nobody, you know, it was just somebody, another person came into the room. And so I, I didn't have a sense of color and color shouldn't matter. It should never matter. It, it tears me up because of my grandkids, you know, and Ambrose, who was the great love of my childhood. So, um, Hopefully it'll eventually evaporate. I, I, I hope so. There's always hope.